Hey guys, this is the Mosaic Podcast, and I want to welcome you. But I want to let you know that MSC just released a new album called Heaven. Seven brand new songs that express the heart of our community, our heart of worship, and are going to absolutely inspire you and make an impact on your life. Mosaic MSC, Heaven. When I wrote Chasing Daylight over 10 years ago, one of the things that really motivated me was this overwhelming awareness of how many moments in my life I had missed. Well, when, when you're young, time seems to move too slowly, and as you get older, it seems to move way, way, way too fast. But all of us are passing through minutes, and, and how many minutes of our lives have we not stepped into fully present? And maybe it's the way we're designed as human beings, but we, we tend to think in large chunks. We celebrate years, birthdays. Sometimes we celebrate decades. If we happen to be alive at the right moment, we celebrate centuries. We rarely celebrate months or weeks or days, unless, of course, you're dating. It's always funny to be around someone who's dating just for a couple of weeks. Oh, we're celebrating. It's our anniversary. We've been dating for two months. It's not going to (laughs) last. If you're celebrating two months in, you're setting way too low standards. (laughs) I've been married 35 years, let me tell you. You count differently over time. But imagine if we were to monitor our progress in life, not year to year or month to month or week to week or day to day, but if we tried to manage the progress of our life minute by minute, that would almost drive us insane, wouldn't it? See, in fact, my curiosity led me to ask the question, I wonder how many minutes we actually live. And so in case you were wondering, there are 525,600 minutes in a year. That means this year you're going to live 525,600 minutes. And about a third of those minutes you're going to be asleep. And another third you're going to be basically unconscious. That means awake, but not quite. And, and so a third of those minutes, you have the opportunity to be fully present. Now, if you live 70 years, you will have 3,679,200 minutes. That's way too many minutes to pay attention to. That's more than all the grains of sand on the beach or the stars and, and the heavens that would seem. How in the world could you possibly be responsible for maximizing all the minutes in your life? But inside those minutes, there's something more significant. They're called moments. In, in fact, I'm convinced that really what matters in life are not the minutes, but the moments in our lives. Because we know that all the minutes don't have the same equal weight, that all the minutes do not have the same impact on our lives or on our future or on the world. But in the middle of all those minutes, there are moments that change everything. And in fact, what you'll discover over a lifetime is that there are about five or six defining moments in your life that you can attach all the other moments to. And behind that defining moment is what I would submit to you a divine moment. See, those five or six defining moments are actually five or six divine moments where God gives you an opportunity 
to unleash a future that is waiting for you. And I think it's interesting that, that great films actually move to a moment and then move from a moment and then move to a moment and then from a moment. So the movies that, that are really painful, they're just full of minutes, but they have no moments. But the movies, movies that you go back to, the films that capture you, the ones that arrest you, the ones that, that pull you in, it's not about the minutes, it's about the moments. And at the end of it, you're thinking to yourself, oh, that was way too fast. I wish there had been more minutes because the moments demanded more time. How much of your time will be filled with moments and not just minutes? What makes a minute a moment. You see, as many minutes as there are, and as many moments are inside of those minutes, what makes a minute a moment is the choice that you make in that moment. By the way, if I were to ask you, what's the most spiritual activity in your life? Like, What's the most spiritual thing you do? Even if you're not, in your own understanding, a spiritual person. Like, what would you think would be the most spiritual thing? I think most people would say prayer. Prayer is a spiritual thing. In fact, even people who don't pray think prayer is spiritual. And whenever there's a crisis, it's thoughts and prayers. Everyone thinks and everyone prays, it seems, even if you don't believe in God. So it seems like prayer is a very spiritual activity. For many, it's the most spiritual activity. For others, it might be meditation. Maybe you say, I don't pray, but I meditate. And maybe meditation is your most spiritual act. Or maybe for others of you, it's, it's more in the tradition of, no, it's, it's, it's confession and communion. Or some of you may be so spiritual, you might say it's fasting. Fasting is the most spiritual activity in my life. Now, fasting is not the same thing as dieting, so don't confuse the two, all right? Fasting has a sacred intention. Dieting, I guess it has a sacred intention as well. I mean, maybe for you, the most spiritual activity in your life is, is reading your Bible, is meditating on the scriptures and, and pouring those truths into your life. Or maybe you're here and you're thinking, the most spiritual thing I've ever done is go to church. I'm here. This may be your most spiritual moment. And you're not even sure if, if it's spiritual yet. But here's the thing. Whatever you understand to be your most spiritual Activity. There is something that, that actually stands in front of it. There's something that, that actually is a precursor to every choice, every decision you ever make. Because before you pray, you have to choose to pray. Before you meditate, you have to choose to meditate. Before you worship, you have to choose to worship. In fact, before you choose any spiritual activity, you have to actually choose. Because the most spiritual act that a human being ever engages in is choice. And even if you're here and you don't consider yourself a spiritual person, I want you to understand that every choice you make is a sacred act. It is the most powerful and precious gift you've been given. The power to choose. And you cannot understand the scriptures if you don't understand that central to the story in the scriptures is that God has created humanity in his image and his likeness. And because we're created in the image and likeness of God, we have the power to choose. And so the, the journey of chasing daylight, because Jesus says the night is coming. 
And when no one can work, so we need to make sure we get our work done, that we live out our intention while it's still day. See, there's an intention, a purpose for your life. And while it is still day, Jesus says, you need to be chasing daylight. But you have choices to make. And the most significant choice you will ever make is to choose to live. That's what I want to talk to you about just for a few moments. Deuteronomy chapter 30. I could have chosen so many different places. Because every single significant moment in the scriptures is built around a choice. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, in verses 15 and 16 and 19 and 20, God is speaking through Moses to the people that Moses had been entrusted to. The Hebrews that he led out of Egypt and wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses was about to die. His leadership was going to be handed over to Joshua. And these are the last words that Moses speaks to them, essentially. He says, see... I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, I find that there are moments that everything comes into perspective where you get clarity and you begin to understand how life actually happens. Because I think a lot of us are confused about how God works. We, we're actually, even though we may believe in God, even, may, even though we may say we have faith, we don't really understand how this whole thing plays out, what God does, what we do, how does this all work out? And I think because of that, so many times we're actually disappointed with God because so we feel like God didn't come through. God did not do his part. But what about if God's doing his part, but he's waiting for you to do your part? What about if you've actually confused the roles and you thought God was supposed to do something that God created you to do? See, at the beginning of the story, there's a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and they're created by God and placed in paradise. Now, you may not know this, but the first command in the scriptures and I think a lot of us actually confuse the first thing God ever said to humanity. We think God's all about don'ts. Because the Ten Commandments are do not, do not, do not, do not. So, so God has this reputation as being the don't God. But actually, God is not the don't God. God's the do God. See, the opening command in the scriptures is actually not don't. It's eat freely. I love that command. The first command in the Bible is eat freely. How can you not love a God like that? And remember, remember the dynamics here. He says, eat freely, and they were naked and unashamed. I don't know a world like that. See, I don't know a world where you could eat freely and be naked and unashamed. I do not eat freely. And I'm ashamed when I'm not naked. But the entire narrative of Genesis is that God created us to choose. He created us with choice. So we know the story about 
the two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and God says, you can eat freely. See, there were not just two trees. There were an endless number of trees. There were an endless number of good choices, just one destructive choice. Because that's the way God is. He gives us so much freedom to choose life. See, life doesn't limit your choices. Life increases your choices. But, of course, they had to make the one choice that stole life from them. But why would God do that? Why, why would God give us choice if he knew that we were going to make bad choices? You ever, you ever wondered that? Like I hear a lot of people try to explain, no, God's all about his glory. Sometimes we don't even know what that means. God's all about his reputation. God's all about his fame. I'm like, wow, if that's all God's about, he's very bad about it. Because we're not doing a great job of giving him a great reputation. Let's just be really upfront. God's rep has tanked since humanity took over the story. So why would God give us free will? Why would God give us the power to choose? There's only one reason why God would create us with choice. It's because of love. See, if God just wanted you to get it right, he didn't need to give you free will. If God just wanted you to do his will, he did not need to give you free will. If God just wanted you to do it his way, this this cosmic micromanager of life, he did not need to give you free will. See, the only reason free will needs to exist is because you cannot force someone to love you. Love has to be a free choice. So God created you freely to choose in that freedom. But that's the tricky thing. Just because you're free to choose does not mean your choices create freedom. You can actually be free to choose and choose to abdicate your freedom. So why all the don'ts? See, I'm a parent. I understand why the don'ts. I was once a child. I understand the don'ts. See, parents are, they're don'ts. Anybody have a don't dad? Or a don't mom? Ask any seven or eight year old. I have a don't dad. Don't do this, don't do that. I have a don't mom. Don't do this, don't do that. I mean, just think of all the things they told you not to do. Don't touch the hot iron. That don't mom. Don't lick your finger and put it in the socket. You ever just wanted to be free? (laughs) Don't run across the street without looking both ways. Let me live. (laughs) See, let me tell you how I know you had don't parents. Because you're alive. But they didn't give you the don'ts because they love the don'ts. They gave you the don'ts because they didn't want one of the don'ts to steal your dues. They didn't want you to make a decision that would destroy your future. They wanted you to make decisions that would actually allow you to step into your future. See, God's opening command is eat freely. I want you to be free. But in that freedom, we made choices that changed the narrative. We brought death and destruction into the human story, not God. And that's why 
It's so clear. He says, see, I set before you life and prosperity, death and destruction. Whenever you read something like that, I'm not sure why, but we almost instinctively move to, you see, God's all about death and destruction. There he is again. We don't even hear the life and prosperity part. We just think God's all about the death and destruction. So let's just step back for a minute because I I know so many people say, I cannot believe in God because there's so much suffering in the world. I cannot believe in God because of the mess we're in. You know anyone like that? Are you someone like that? All right, so let's, let's remove God from the equation. Is there still death? You still dying? I don't know if you know this, but you're dying. Everyone before you has died and everyone after you is going to die. And you're going to die. And if you were unaware of that, I'm sorry to ruin your day. (laughs) But God does not have to exist for death to exist. In fact, the reality is death exists whether God exists or not. So it's not proof that God does not exist. Oh, and destruction too, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed, there's a lot of destruction going on. I don't know if you've turned on the news or opened up the newspaper. What's that? Check the internet. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but this planet is in disarray. Humanity seems to only know how to tell a story of destruction. And I understand why people say, how can God exist when there's so much injustice, when there's so much suffering, when there's so much poverty? How can God exist when the world is in this kind of condition? All right, so he doesn't exist. So why does it still exist? Oh, wait a minute. If the fact that there's so much injustice and suffering and poverty and inequity in the world, if that's proof there's no God, then that must be proof that there's no us. Because we're actually the causes. So maybe we don't exist and God's out there going, they're not real. Or maybe when it says, I said before you, life and prosperity, death and destruction, he understands that all that's in front of us is death and destruction. He came to give us another option. That God came to bring the life and prosperity into the equation. Because he wants to give us a future with hope. He says, I came to put this in front of you. And yes, there's death and destruction, but by the way, those are the choices you're already making. I'm trying to give you another choice. So choose to live. Oh, by the way, I've been doing a a, a toothpaste experiment. (laughs) It was accidental because I'm sort of compulsive, and so I always like to try new things, and my wife just gets so frustrated because I'm always bringing things home that no one else would ever try. You know, and so I I have two toothpastes here with me. One is a white one. It's fresh mint. Rembrandt. I, I bought it because Rembrandt's an artist, and... I don't know, I wanted artistic teeth, and I wrote a book called The Artisan Soul, it just felt right, and my wife's like, you're buying Rembrandt. But recently, I found a new toothpaste. It's just called, hello. But what really attracted me was that it's, it's made with, with activated charcoal. I, I don't know why, that excited me. I was like... It's not just inactive charcoal or, or apathetic charcoal. It, it, it is. I don't want any of that. It's activated charcoal. I don't even know how they activate it. 
but with fresh mint. So I, I, I started brushing my teeth with activated charcoal, and I, I, I almost had a seizure. <laughs> it tastes great, it tastes great, but, but things were going on while I was brushing my teeth that I was unaware of. My, first of all, my toothbrush turned black. I don't know why I didn't know that would happen. I thought just like all the stuff that, that seems to disappear with, with my white toothpaste would happen with my black toothpaste. But it didn't. And then I started looking around and I realized my teeth were black. <laughs> until they turned white. And, uh, and, and I, 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 I don't want to be inappropriate, but I started seeing black water run down my, my beard and even on my hands. I was like, wow, I don't brush my teeth effectively. I, I never knew that. It's like, and, and I just kind of sloshed it around a little bit. And, then I spit it out. Pam, and there was an explosion of blackness everywhere. All over the sink, even out of the sink. Like, oh no, I can't use this. It's, the sh- it's, it's, it's staining everything. But then I realized something. This innocent toothpaste wasn't guilty for what I thought it was guilty for. It was just being honest about what I was doing. This white toothpaste is a liar. (laughs) It's letting me pretend that I'm more hygienic than I thought. It's letting me pretend that when I spit out that water, it doesn't splash all over the sink. And so I'm going back to the white toothpaste. I don't want to know (laughs) the impact of my actions. I wonder if you need some activated charcoal in your life. (laughs) As you see, those minutes have moments and those moments have choices and those choices have power. In fact, I, I think it's fascinating that that the word moment has a couple of interesting nuances. One is that the word moment and the word momentum come from the same essence. And I think a lot of us think that moments are stationary, but moments are never stationary. Moments always have movement. I think part of the superstition that's set into our minds is ever since the Polaroid was invented. You guys remember? I think the Polaroid's actually coming back, right? Polaroid cameras, but see, when I was growing up, Polaroid Polaroid cameras were not coming back. They were just coming. (laughs) And the thing about Polaroid cameras is that it takes a while to take the photograph. So it's, stay still. (laughs) All right, almost. (laughs) I got it. And then... Trying to hurry it along because it's really slow. You moved! It's boring! I'm good. get me I get you 
But you see, then we turned our phones into cameras and we take all these snapshots. And it convinces us that time stands still. But time never stands still. Time is always moving. Monet was right when he created blurry images of reality because that's what reality really is. And every moment of your life is moving. See, you're a time traveler. You're just limited. You can't travel backwards. And you can't skip minutes. But you're traveling through time right now. Do you feel it? This moment is moving. And the last moment has left you. And you're stepping into the next moment right now. But inside of those moments, and this is to me so fascinating, the Greeks understood this. See, inside of the word moment is the word atomus. And the word atomus is where we get the word atom because this, this smallest particle, this moment, is an atom of time. But inside of this atom of time also comes the word atomic. See, every moment has atomic potential. The smallest unit of time has the capacity to shake eternity. But what are you doing to unlock the atomic in your moments? Why are you letting those moments slip away? Because the problem with those defining moments, the problem with those divine moments is they look so mundane. You can't really estimate how much miraculous is waiting inside of them. With all those moments, you have choices. And by the way, the average person will make 773,618 decisions over their lifetime. You will make three quarters of a million decisions over your lifetime. But here's the good news. Out of those, you will only come to regret one hundred and forty three thousand two hundred and sixty two. You're only going to regret one hundred and fifty thousand decisions you make in your life. The typical adult makes twenty seven judgments a day. Usually starting with when you wake up, if you get up with the alarm or hit snooze. But I don't know if it's actually those 143,000 or whatever it is, number of choices that we'll regret that really will haunt us. I think it's all those moments that we knew were there that we did not have the courage to step into. All those moments that slipped away. All those moments where if we just believed that our lives could be different. That we had the power to choose. If we had just stepped into that moment and did not relinquish our responsibility to create that momentum. I have way too many friends over my lifetime who have ended their lives. Way too many friends who struggle, even now, with suicide. We have, a, we have an epidemic in our nation, and it's odd to me that in the nations that are most free and most prosperous, like the U.S. and Japan and Scandinavia, that they have the highest rates of suicide. How is it possible that you step into a moment and believe there's no momentum worth living for? 
See, I think what happens to so many of us is that we make choices in the past. And those choices have momentum. And even though we're trying to make new choices, better choices, different choices, it's almost as if we can't escape the momentum of our past choices. Do you remember that song that you two sang, um, Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out of? Uh, Every song on that album had a symbol to identify that song. And the symbol for that song was four arrows pointing toward the center with a dot right in the middle. I think it's because what happens is that when we make our worst moments, when we make our worst choices, we are stuck in that moment. And that moment seems to hold us captive. And there's some of you here, you are still defined by the worst moments of your life. And that moment is haunting you and it has attached itself to you. And that moment feels like a tar pit. And you struggle and you try to fight your way out, but there's no future you can see. I want you to know that this is the power and wonder of who God is. He understands that we make choices in moments that carry momentum and they carry consequences. But you don't have to be defined by that moment. You don't have to be trapped in that moment. There's a way out of that moment. And God says, see, I said before you today, life and prosperity. Death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, walk in obedience to him, and keep his commands, decrees, and laws. This is not God being needy, saying you need to love me. This is God knowing we need him. Because we need his love. Then you will live and increase. I love that. He says, then you will live and increase. You see, God never gives you a command. He never gives you a decree. He never speaks into your life trying to limit your freedom, trying to limit your life. God's trying to give you life and increase. A lot of us act like Jesus is our panic room. In fact, I think it's why a lot of people are not interested in God. Because they look at people who believe in Jesus and it's as if God is your panic room. Because you're afraid of life. You're afraid of the world. You're afraid of people. You're afraid of of mystery. You're afraid of all the unknown. And if you're afraid, you try to make Jesus your panic room. But the problem with trying to make Jesus your panic room is that you're the panic. See, Jesus didn't say, I'm the panic room. He said, I'm the door. I'm the gate. If you step in and out through me, you will come into open spaces. Jesus wants you to understand that he is the opening to life. And in that life, there are an endless number of beautiful choices. Then he says, this day I call heaven, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. It's almost as if God knew we were going to accuse him of only bringing death. So, so I'm calling the heavens and the earth as my witnesses that I'm giving you a choice of life and death, of blessings and curses. It's almost as if he knew we would just blame him for the curses and take credit for the blessings. We're not like that, are we? See, because death was already there and the destruction was already there and the pain was already there. He says, now choose life. This is where it begins. Now choose life. There's certain things only God can do for you, but there are certain things that God cannot do for you. See, God already chose life, ironically, through his death. God already chose you, but he's waiting for you 
to choose him. See, God has already chosen for you a future with a hope. He's already chosen for you prosperity and increase. He has already chosen for you life. But he's waiting for you to choose it. And you can't put this on God. You can't say, why doesn't God just fix it? Because you're not a puppet. God has too much respect for the image of God in you. To steal from you the power to choose. I think it's odd that religions are constructed to convince people to abdicate their power to choose. I find it terrifying. In fact, that, that's the extreme level of a cult when you abdicate your right to choose. Religions are not the only things like that. Ideologies are like that. We live in an ideological time where you have to agree completely with whatever group or party you're aligned with or you're thrown out. Because you're not allowed to think for yourself. Be careful to have friends who all agree with you and then ask a question. God is not like that. See, I want you to understand. In fact, one of my friends came to me today asking me for some advice. And I wouldn't tell them what to do. I just kept laying out the options, the information. And she looked at me with her husband. He goes, I just hate that you do that. Can't you just tell me? I said, I have too much respect for who you are as a human being. Because my conviction is this. If I make your decisions for you, I have made you weaker, not stronger. Own your power. Own your responsibility. Own your choices. So now choose life. There are some things you don't get to choose, right? And I didn't get to choose to be born in El Salvador. They didn't ask me. My opinion didn't matter. You know, I, I did this genetic testing thing. I didn't get to choose the combination of ethnicities that I am. In fact, the thing I'm the most of, I'm not even sure what it is. I'm not sure what an Iberian is. But Iberian that. I didn't get to choose the Native American part of me or the Asian part of me or the Jewish part of me or the European part of me or the Indian part of me. I didn't get to choose those things. Those things were made, those choices were made for me. You didn't get to choose whether you're tall or short. Some of you are frustrated by that. (laughs) You didn't get to choose whether you were born male or female. You didn't get to choose that. You didn't get to choose whether you are born Latino. You just thank God. <laughs> or born Asian or born African American. In fact, yesterday I was in a conversation with someone who said, well, everybody knows everybody wants to be black now. <laughs> we do. We all want to be black. Let's just be honest. I had, a, I, had, I had a Caucasian come up to me and say, how come I don't have an ethnicity? Say, I don't know. <laughs> you just didn't get one. <laughs> you didn't get to choose so many things about who you are. But we act as if we don't get to choose whether we live or not. And you, we get it all wrong. You don't get to choose whether you exist. Because you are here. And you exist. 
But you have to choose whether you live. Now choose life. So that your children may live. Now I know a lot of you don't have children in this room right here. But some of you will have children. And one day you'll understand this more fully, but maybe you understand it completely now because you've been a child. See, it seems wrong to say, now choose life so that your children may live. But this is the reality, whether God existed or not, this is the reality. We are impacted by the choices of the people who came before us. We're impacted by the choices our parents made. In fact, there are some things about who you are, that you are that because someone chose that for themselves and they passed it on to you. And a lot of times it's the worst of us. I mean, we see it. Alcoholics end up raising alcoholics. Abusers end up raising abusers. Victims end up raising victims. Isn't it odd how, so oftentimes the very thing we pass on to our children are the very things we hoped would never be passed on to anyone. And, And some of the things that have been passed on to you We're not the things that your father or mother wanted to pass on to you. And he says, now you have to make a choice here because this choice isn't just for you. It's for everyone who comes after you. I wish my father had chosen me over alcohol. And I'll wish that to the day I die. I wish he had chosen to stay instead of run. I'll wish that until my last breath. Because here's the reality. Those moments, those moments, those defining moments in our lives, some of them are not the choices we make, but the choices that are made that impact us. So then you have to step up into a new moment and decide that you will choose a moment more powerful than their moments in your life. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Here's the beautiful thing. See, if they can pass on to us the worst of them, then we can choose life and pass on the best of us. That you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. This is what it looks like when you live in a relationship with God. You live in a relationship of love. You hear his voice. He talks to you. You commune with him. You hold fast to him. And he pulls you into the future you're created to live. But here's, here's, here's the tricky part. Here's the nuanced part that you need to see. He says, for the Lord is your life. See, I think a lot of us would choose life if somehow we could choose life and not have to choose God. And in fact, we might actually want what God has, but we don't want God. Have you ever been in that dilemma? I need the things that God seems to offer, but I don't want God invading my life. Because after all, he's God. And if I give him my life, it's an unfair relationship. I hope you know that. But here's the problem. You see, God cannot give you life apart from himself. Because God does not give life. God is life. And the only way you ever step into life is to step into him. He doesn't give you love. He is love. And when you enter into a relationship with him, you swim in love. 
Everything your soul longs for, everything your soul is desperately searching for, isn't something God gives you. It's something God is for you. So choose life. But I need you to see this. I need you to understand this. He says, for the Lord is your life. I'm really grateful that I've had moments in my life where someone else was also choosing. But they chose for me. And they helped me out of the bad choices of my life. You ever have someone who just didn't give up on you? You just made terrible decisions, self-destructive decisions. You just made some of the worst decisions of your life, but they just kept choosing you. They just kept choosing to love you. They just kept choosing to believe in your future. They just kept choosing to hold you close and not let go of you, even though you didn't choose them. Have you ever had people in your life that just frustrated you? I'm trying to get rid of you. I don't want your hope or your optimism. I don't want your forgiveness. I just want you out of my life. Have you ever had someone in your life so frustrating? Like, get out of my moment. Like, no. Because if you were in that moment by yourself, it's going to be so destructive, you're going to be stuck in it for the rest of your life. So there are people who jump into our worst moments because they want to be there to pull us out of them. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. (laughs) But I got even better news. There's a God who wants to step into time and space for you and place eternity in your heart. He, He wants to be in every moment that you will ever be in, every minute you will ever walk through. And he wants to choose you every minute, even when you don't choose yourself. He wants to choose hope for you when you choose despair. He wants to choose a future when you choose the past. He wants to choose health when you choose brokenness. God wants to choose the best of you even when you choose the worst of you. When you want to give up, God wants to choose getting up. And he wants to be in every moment of your life because God can unlock, unleash the atomic in every moment of your life. So you have to choose to live. And the choice is yours. And this is where it begins. Everything else we'll be covering over the weeks to come are connected to this. You've been created by God to choose. And there's a choice in front of you. And the most significant, the most important choice you'll ever make is to choose to live. You have to want to live. You have to decide, I'm not going to exist anymore and I don't know what it's going to take to get you there I just know that in my own life I just came to a place in my life I was tired of burning up my time I was tired of just passing through the minutes until they turned into hours and days and weeks and months and years it seemed so wasted I was sick and tired of living in fear of feeling insignificant I'm not really having the courage to step into the moments I even saw. I was just done looking back on my life and seeing all the moments that I let slip away in my life. 
And I, I don't want to make you comfortable. I, I don't want to let you leave with a good feeling. I want to disturb you. I want to disrupt this moment in your life. To somehow compel you to care enough about your own life. To choose life. To stop blaming other people for the choices they make. To start making choices now that create a different future for you. Don't tell me you don't matter. Don't tell me it's too late for you. Don't tell me it can't happen for you because 2,000 years ago, Jesus chose to die on a cross because he believed in you. And if he chose you, who cares who doesn't choose you? So now, the choice is yours. What will you do? Just on the other side of that line of choice love is waiting for you freedom is waiting for you life is waiting for you your future is waiting for you forgiveness is waiting for you what are you waiting for would you just bow your heads with me just for a moment just close your eyes Is this your moment? The moment that changes everything for you. The moment where you stand in time and let eternity touch your soul. The moment where you cross the line of faith and you give your life to Jesus. The moment you choose life for Jesus. is your life. If you give your life to him, he will pour his life in you right now. So I want to lead you in a simple prayer. It's just one sentence. It's just a choice that changes everything. Here it is. Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. It's not about the words. It's about the choice. Jesus, I give you my life right now. Just choose life. Choose Jesus. Choose this moment to trust him with everything, to give him everything, to let him pour his life, his love, his forgiveness into you right now. Just just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus. I give you my life. If this is your moment, I want to stand in this moment with you. We want to stand in this moment with you. If this is the moment you crossed the line of faith and gave your life to Jesus, if you just whispered that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. What I want you to do right now, I want you to define this moment. I want you to mark this divine moment. And I want you to raise your hand right now and I want to pray for you right now. Right now, wherever you are, just do it quickly. This is your moment. Don't let the moment slip away. Right now, just hold it high. Jesus, I give you my life. Wherever you are, beautiful, wonderful, beautiful. Anyone else right now, beautiful. Jesus, I give you my life. Beautiful. Anyone else, 
Jesus, I give you my life. This is your moment. Don't let this moment slip away. This is the moment. Your life will change forever. Right now, just hold it high. Jesus, I give you my life. This is the moment you've been waiting for. This is the moment your soul has been longing for right now. Jesus, I give you my life. Anyone else? Everyone who raised their hand, just hold it up high right now. I want to see you all at the same time. Beautiful. Beautiful. Father, I thank you for all the women and men who in this moment crossed that line of faith. Who made a decision to choose life. To choose you. To trust you with their life. To move from existence to life. God, I'm so grateful that you set before them life and prosperity. That you set before them life and increase. That you set before them the choice to live. And that they've stepped into that choice. May this moment mark every moment of their life. May you unlock the atomic inside this moment and just unleash life inside of them. May they be filled with hope and filled with joy. God, may you overwhelm them with the wonder and beauty of who you are. May they live fully alive and be overwhelmed by the power and beauty of that. We thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just thank God for everyone who's responded to him? I cannot tell you how excited I am about the journey we're going to take together through Chasing Daylight. We're going to strip away all the superstition, all the mythology. We're going to get down to how life actually works, how God works in life. There's some of you that have been so frustrated because you believe, but it just hasn't actually taken root in your life. It's going to change. You're going to make choices that are going to change your life forever. I want to encourage you to not live in these moments alone. You're going to have people who are going to step into the moments of your life this week. And I want you to understand that you have an ability, you have a power, you have a responsibility because you can actually focus in that moment and unlock the atomic inside of them. So let's just, let's make this place standing room only next week. Let's dive into a future together, but let's not go there alone. Let's take everyone we can because someone needs you to be in their moment, pulling them into their future. Man, let's go after it because night is coming. So let's do what we must while it's still day. Let's begin to chase the daylight. And let's choose to live. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received. Allow it to go deeply into your soul. To allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic. To go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation. To become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.